nights when one drink with the girls turns into a bottle, but you need your car for brunch the next day. There's pickup. Or at Friday work drinks, where you don't want to leave your car with expensive tools at the pub. There's pickup. Don't miss out on the fun. Get a pickup. Simply book on our app, and we'll pick you up to drive you and your car home. Two drivers arrive, one drives you home in your car, and the other driver follows. Download the pickup app today. That's PKUP, and wake up worry-free. Hi, I'm Macaulay Jones. Dick Johnson from DJR Team Penske, and you're on Inside Supercar. From the racetracks across Australia, and here's Inside Supercars. Welcome to Inside Supercars. We've got a very special guest joining Tony Whitlock and Craig Gravel in Rothstone, the one half of the SPR business that was uh, a foundation of uh, the Supercar Series as known today. Welcome to the uh, show, Ross. Yeah, thanks, Tony and Craig. It's uh, terrific to have you back on again. Um, it's been a, a long time in, in the making. Just tell us briefly what you're up to nowadays. Um, not doing a lot. For a couple of years, uh, I ran a youth in the Diesel Ute series and um, with a young Kiwi, Tom Alexander, and we didn't win it in the first year. Uh, Ryle Harris done that, but the second year we won it. So that was, I really enjoyed that. There's a lot to learn about the diesels. And um, and also the other thing with the diesel, um, you were in the diesel segment of the market and um, but now they've run the V8s in them. You know, you know, you're up against funding-wise. You're up against, you know, everything from supercars to Toyota 86s, etc. You know, so um, it's a big change. Do you think they gave up on diesel too soon? Uh, oh, I, I don't know. That's a hypothetical question. The decision was made and was announced at Bathurst in the second year and um, you know that, that was that and I decided then that that was the end of my involvement in that you know. Um, we actually interviewed uh, obviously uh, Kenny Smith of course a legend of Australasian motorsport and Tom Alexander as well. Um, a delightful young man and uh, one I know that uh, uh, he's probably going to go a bit further in the sport but maybe not uh, in Australia. Yeah, probably, oh, especially in the COVID situation. But um, Tom's got a lot of talent and, um, you know, Kenny talked us into supporting him in Formula Ford in the SBR days and he carried SBR signage and also Scott Dixon signage. So, um, yeah, anyway, only we only done one year of that, but um, always rate him, good bloke. And Smithy's an old mate of mine, you know. Wondering, first of all, uh, what you're thinking of the championship as it is now. You'd be delighted, obviously, to see Shane, SBG, being an ex-SBR man, um, doing so well. I mean, he won the championship in 2016, and by crikey, he's a long way down that road now, isn't he? Yeah, he's um, he's outstanding at the moment. Um, just the, at the top of his game, I think, you know. Um just really um, strong and, and he's got no weaknesses, you know, so he's such a good racer and I I always thought over the years all the guys I've worked with 
um, a motorcycle race at Graham Crosby back in 86 was one of the most natural. But I think after watching Shane win the New Zealand Grand Prix and everything else, um, I think Shane is uh, probably the, the most natural, you know. And and uh, I always thought, even back in those days when we were running him, that if anybody was going to go to NASCAR, it would be him. It just never seen him race in NASCAR or anything like that, but just had that feeling, you know. There was obviously a lot of you know, conjecture and talk of bad blood and things like that. You ended up sort of... Uh, pretty good friends with him again, didn't you? Because you obviously were very committed to his career for a good part of uh, his last uh, few years in driving. Yeah, absolutely. I don't see much of him now, but um, when we do catch up, it's just like, you know, you know, sort of genuine old friends. You can pick up the conversation and go for it, go for it um, you know, without a, without a break, you know. It's just, just one of those things. I can still remember that Oran Park, uh, that uh, Friday session when he went out uh, for the first time in the Team Kiwi car. It's uh, quite extraordinary times, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. And just a new approach to a few things, you know, from from the racing that he had done, which was limited, Formula Ford and, and then Toyota Series, and, and and obviously some go-karts and some other bits and pieces, but... He, he would just take a different line to find, um, you know, the most grip in the track rather rather than a um, traditional line and um, work well for him and still is working for him. One of your great countrymen and friends of yours, Jim Richards, I equate often with Shane in that they have both got an unconventional career to motorsport or where they've got to in that they didn't come from a go-kart background. They both started driving on dirt or gravel. Um, Shane, of course, in quads and speedway and gym and rallying. Um, and they, they both have that wonderful talent, um, not only in the wet, but that particularly so, but that ability to, to find that grip you're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. Um you know, when I was still at school, I would go, my brother Jimmy and, and then my brother Kevin raced in, you know, gravel gravel road um, hill climbs. And, and Jim would, Jim was at a lot of those hill climbs in those days. And um, you just, just from watching him as a school kid, I just, you know, um, always thought that he was one of the best, you know. And, um, and that's what, the way it turned out, he was just incredible. He could drive. I've seen him racing. This is before I came to Australia, but I've seen him racing Falcon GTs, Twin Cam Escort, filming him um, in the rallies in a BDA Escort, and um, he was just anything he turned his hand to. He, he was he was just exceptional. Another of your proteges and. Uh one who you uh, well and truly took down the path was Scotty McLaughlin. You must be amazingly pleased to see the success. And although he has the one a race and, you know, obviously there's a, a long way to go yet, but Scotty Mack and what he's doing and has done and uh, his triple treat of uh, championships here and then heading off with Penske, that's extraordinary things. Yeah, he has. I, I think he was trained well. Um and he, he responded, and 
I've got to say, he's driving really well. So um, good luck to him. It's coming up for um, 10 years since you and and Jim sold up the SBR brand to Erebus. Um, yep. There's been an enormous enormous amount happened, uh, obviously, in your life and career and your businesses. Supercars, you know, there's, there's been a, a bit of a decline, shall we say, since the high times of uh, 10, 15 years ago. How do you see the series and what sort of shape it's in now? Oh, well, firstly... Um I, I go around to Matt Stone's sometimes and have a look at the cars and Jimmy's always there um, doing whatever. And um, so I still take a keen interest in it. But um, the racing these days, I just, just think are hampered by possibly too much downforce because they can't um, follow close enough. Um, you know, in the old days, you used to, if you got up onto somebody, you had two or three laps before your front tyres would would just drop off a bit and um, then you'd struggle. But um, these days, they can't even get close. But I've got to say, it's a, it's a class act, you know, when you see how close they all qualify to one another and um, how they race and how many good drivers are in there. You know, it's just amazing. Part of that, in fact, is, is obviously something that an equalisation, which goes on in all sorts of sports around the world. But that equalisation, of course, is as much technical as it is financial. You know, the thing that I was so struck by when I first arrived in, in the mid-90s were the finger problems. And those were people who unfortunately made a mistake with the car. You know, you'd hear people talk about finger problems. And that rapidly declined. By the time 2003, three, four came around, you just didn't see those. Is that your experience as well? Oh, yeah, I think so, just as, as it all evolved. Um, you know, people sharpened up their weaknesses and, and, you know, at the end, to do well, you had to um, not have any weaknesses in any, any, any area. Um, it was just... Just it was a strong series. Just oh, it still is. It's it's a tough series, you know. Just it's not the sooks, you know. Looking at the overall series, I mean, I, I don't want to talk about television ratings and free to wear and all those sort of things, but the impact yeah. of when Archers came in, um, the impact in terms of you doing your job as as uh, you were, in fact were on the board at one stage. Um, the, what what it meant for you that having this uh, very large business investment company involved in it, how did it change things for you? Or did it change things for you? Oh, well, firstly, let me explain how it all happened. Um, V8 Supercars used to be owned 75% by the teams and, and 25% um, by Sports and Entertainment, SEL. Um, and Tony Cochran had partners in SEL and and some ver- very um, bright minds in the marketing and stuff from that side, you know. But I- anyway, I guess in a nutshell, Tony and his partners they had done enough laps and they, you know, it was time for a change. And then as teams... We all backed Tony, and um, because he he was a genius for us, um, you know, love him or hate him, 
but he he was the best. And um, so when it looked like, you know, we had to buy SEL out or whatever, we had a look at, at putting a price on the business, if you like, and and then um, Tim Miles got involved, who's handling potential sales now. And Tim Miles, basically out of Sydney, but a, you know, an old Kiwi, um, he he put a, a value on it, and then it was a really interesting pro, you know, process for me being an old mechanic. But um, he just the way that you have a have all the data in a box and then you can check who's interested and once they've, you know, complied with the entry, if you like, or or access to that information, you know, you can tell who is looking at what part of the business and how long they've been looking at it. It was, it was a really interesting time because there was a lot of, interest from around the world, actually. It certainly bodes well um, for the chance for the uh, supercar business to be involved in possibly somebody a more marketing company than Archers were, um, who are an investment company. And uh, as you know, that you know, supercars was only one of the portfolio they picked up back uh, 11 and 12 sort of time. Um, yeah. But the interesting thing is that we've got what appears to be at least two, if not more, consortiums looking um, to buy into it. Uh, that's pretty encouraging for the series, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And I think um, there would be a fair bit more going on than what you or I know about. Um, I, I would suspect I haven't spoken to anybody about this particular thing, but I, I, I would think it would be um, just from experience last time round, there would be there would be more than two or three. I'd suggest it'd be four or five. Saying that, you know, the um, Tim will, Tim Miles again will work through it and um, and you know see what's best for the V8 supercar business. Last time, Ross, when it was sold to Archer, you had 75% and you came in not as the majority after the sale. Yes. Do, do you think that balance needs to go uh, a different way to perhaps give teams a larger stake? Or uh, I know you sold your team soon after the sale, but do you think that that was one of the uh, factors that, the team owners always like to have a lot more control than what they eventually had at 25%? Yeah, I, I guess that, that it all evolved from, you know, a bunch of entrants to all, all of a sudden, you know, we had um, government contracts and all, all sorts of things for different races. And, you know, Clips all come along. The first major one was Darwin, you know, which still goes now. But one of the reasons for the the sale, amongst other things that we talked about in those days, was you know trying to make it easier for some other people to come into the business. Um, and believe it or not, we always used to talk about um, 
you know, some of the guys racing Porsches and 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 stuff like that, that they could come in, come in and and race. But whether that worked or not, I you know, um, I don't know. But I think it for the way people are trying to buy licenses and whatever now, you'd have to think that it's quite a strong proposition to run one of those cars. However, we have seen, I think, uh, around the time you left, we were around 30 cars, and we have seen yeah. it now down to 25. So it's it's hard to measure, isn't it? Because some people would say we're not missing anything by those five cars because they weren't championship contenders, they weren't race-winning contenders. But at the same time, it was five seats for young drivers and for new people to make their name and, and move up in the sport. Yeah, sure. But the Super 2 or the, you know, the generation old cars are stronger now. But the whole idea of it was, back in that era, was 24 cars was the ideal number because we used to do um, flyaway races. You know, we went to China once. Abu Dhabi and Bahrain and New Zealand and 24 cars um, if you split one used to leave one uh, sorry one um, uh, you know 747 freighter would leave out of um, Melbourne and one would leave out of Brisbane and um, you know 24 cars was the most efficient number to do those overseas races now they they've dropped off obviously but we've still got the Kiwi race. Well, uh, offshore has certainly gone off the agenda. It certainly um, is very strong. Obviously, fighting COVID as well as uh, trying to win championships is very difficult for anybody. But the great thing is about the series is that there is that depth of competition, and you know we, we've seen it where with your your nephew. Uh, Matt Stone's team, where uh, his boys, even at Darwin, um, both of these young drivers, Zane Goddard and Jake Kostecki, were putting their cars up in the top 10, which is a fantastic achievement for them to be uh, getting those sort of results. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a top 10 in that, in that field now is something to celebrate, you know. Um, I, I guess it's just, it's got, it's, um, been more and more refined all the time and um, and you know the way scrutinizing and the balance of performance almost um, you know a good team's still going to do well but you got the opportunities these days to stick your nose in. Just one of the things that's uh, leading up to 2022 is um, all the talk about Gen 3. I don't know if you've um, got across much of it but you know, um, discussions about crate engines and parity being measured by Ilmore in America and things like this. Uh, have you got feelings about the way in which it should go? I mean, V8 has been the strength of it, the sound, the fury and all those sorts of things. Yeah, well, years ago, um, obviously, there was a lot of market research done early on and the noise was one of the things. So how these new engines are going to sound, I'm not sure. But also years ago, um, 
I used to go to a lot of technical meetings where there would be three or four Ford guys and then you would be button heads with Larry and the Holden guys. But you'd walk into those meetings, take your hat off, your team hat off and and put what was best for the business. And there were some good decisions made there. But in, in, in those days, if, if there was going to be a rule change, we would work out the, redund- the redundancy of all the uh, parts and how much it was going to cost teams and everything. But this time round, Gen 3, um, I guess it's needed, um, especially with, you know, basically going to two makes and, and what they're doing. But um, it's the biggest change in the business since since, you know, the V8 started in 93, really, to be honest, because, you know, with fresh engines and different different capacity engines and, um, you know, just uh, there's a lot of work, but um, there's good people on the job, so uh, I think it'll come out all right. With the uh, potential sale, um, I, I read actually a piece today, uh, a young New Zealand journalist, a kid called Simon Chapman. Have you met him? No, I haven't. I've read a bit of his stuff. Yeah. Simon and I met, uh, I did the whole of the TRS last year, which I was just so absolutely wrapped to do five weekends in New Zealand in a row. It had been a long time since I'd done it. And Simon was a, a journalist on that. I'd met him beforehand. He, he wrote a terrific piece today, a conversation he had, obviously, with Tim Miles. And it's interesting because in that uh, article, um, Tim talks about how that they're wanting to get, rather than an investment-style company, is to get a Liberty-style. The F1 purchaser from CBC of some years ago um, to get a Liberty-style company involved in supercars, you would see that as a real direction um, that would be positive for the series, wouldn't you? Yes, I actually read that particular article as well, and um, I think Knowing Tim Miles, he, he'll do a really good job at, at working with the, the V8 board um, or with the supercar board. He'll do a really good job and, and, you know, and at the end of the day, get the ideal partner. So, Thinking of such things, I might just um, comment on uh, <laughs> um, knowing that I had my accreditation revoked back in 2007 um, <laughs> for things I'd written. <laughs> that's, that's a long story anyway. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I just wanted to say that um, I have enormous respect for Tony Cochran for the job he did. The, my problem only became when he started um, going after the player, not the ball, and that was my difficulty with him. Uh, but respect because I believe sincerely that the job they did was superb. I mean, unlike some of my so-called peers, and, and I'm mm. talking here of the likes of Will Hagen and Peter McKay and guys like that, who all said, yeah. oh, it's bloody ridiculous, you know, them going and getting government money for these tracks. Well, of course, that's what any sports administrator should do. It's what the AFL does. It's what the NRL does. That's what you're supposed to do. Get government yeah. support. Get them involved, you know. Yeah, well, I remember at Bathurst, um, after we'd run up there years ago, before the de- development 
we've done that you know what exists exists there now, and and Tony um, said, oh, you know, we need the government to step up here, and and the figures he was talking, I thought, oh, you know, it's going to be a stretch. But anyway, he got it across the line, so I think um, there's a lot of a lot of work that he done in those days has, you know, you can still see the end result of it today in a lot of places, you know. Have you got a period of Stone Brothers racing that you just remember those years most fondly? Um, to be honest, I I just loved the racing and I enjoyed it all, but we, we won the championship with Marcus Ambrose in 03, 04, and then with Russell Ingle in 05. So, you know, obviously those were the, were the years that we're fond of the most, looking back now. As you'd well um, remember, uh, Marcus, for the majority of his time in supercars, wasn't one of the most freewheeling with the media, shall we say. Um I'm sure you've seen that he's involved again in motorsport in Australia. Uh, I, I caught up with him at Simmons Plains and Baskerville and, and Phillip Island. Um, and I must say, um, he was an absolute delight to talk to again, um, far more so than, you know, that 10 years or so in America really uh, rounded out his uh, <laughs> the way in which he handled the media. I was going to say, I remember a conversation I had with Marcus when he was still racing in NASCAR and he was racing in the big game. And I, I remember talking to him about television and saying about how that uh, when you're watching supercars on television or V8s as they were sort of that era, V8 supercars, um, that our cars look brutal. You know, shots of the cars, the way in which that they were angles on them and the proximity to it, it looked brutal. Compared to a NASCAR, that it, it looked look from a distance. It just didn't have that um, air of it. Okay, you saw cars flip and things like that. But And he said, Tony, don't you realise that in a NASCAR, you know, seven 800 horsepower, every corner you're about to have an accident. I said, yes, but that's not what's portrayed. And <laughs> the thing that it always struck me was that supercar success should be, so much should be laid at the feet of making the television look as good as it does. Would you agree with that? Oh, yeah, 100%. But while you're on Ambrose, he he wasn't that that user-friendly with press and stuff because he was just dedicated and focused, you know, absolutely 100%. And then when he went to NASCAR, the, the demands on those guys is just, it's unbelievable. I always thought when he came back that he, he needed to, take Sonia and the kids for a holiday for six months before he committed to getting his ass in a supercar, you know. But um, he, he, and I must say also, his stuff that he's doing on television now, I think he's doing a great job. Yeah, and you you joked before about being a mechanic and then on a board of supercars and how supercars took off, and it must be astonishing when you think, yes, you're a mechanic with a race team. You have then uh, control over 
a series, a racing series, but not only that, a television production company, an events production company, and a, and a whole bunch of other aspects of motor racing, which when you're just cranking spanners to get a car to the racetrack, never even crosses your mind. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. I, I think it was a growth. Um, you know, I can still remember Tony saying now, because the V8 board decided to do a few races, promote a few races himself, and he, he because of his promotional background, he quite often used to say, um, you know, as soon as you start taking on this promotion of any of these races, you're in the risk business, real, you know, serious. You know, you can have a have a race that is is wet all weekend, and, and you know you're going to do money. You know, so um, yeah. But it was just supercars, really, just um, was pointed in the right direction and where it went. You know. Well, Ross, it's been fantastic talking to you again and reliving some of those old times. Um, I, I can still vividly remember when I presented, uh, I think it was an edition of Race Facts that said, you know, in Germany, their taxis are referring to the two-litre series. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I think that uh, on the strength of it, you and Jimmy decided, yeah, we'll subscribe to the beer Race Facts thing. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Um, I, I, I look forward to having a conversation in person with you. I, I'm, I'm certainly hoping to get up to the Gold Coast and uh, I imagine I'll be able to catch up with you there. Um, look forward to maybe in the next few months. Um, I hear that uh, there could be some news as soon as Townsville about this impending sale. So um, we uh, watch and look forward to uh, finding out what your views are on what's happened. And thank you for joining us on Inside Supercars. Yeah, well, I hope... Um you know, I haven't, I've always been quite conservative, you know, that Tony, and uh, um, so I hope it's worked out all right. It has indeed, and thank you for joining us, Ross Stone of SBR fame. Yeah, thanks, Tony. Thanks, Craig. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next time for more, or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited.